0: Back to the Diversity in Tech Leaders podcast with me, Jess Cliff here at Coltech Global. As you know, we are inviting a lot of exciting guests on the podcast to discuss the importance of diversity inclusion within the workplace, discuss their experiences and things that they think are important to be included and mentioned within these podcast to bring light to subjects that are important to diverse workforces as well. Today, we have the lovely Caroline Vot, who is partner and head of engineering over at Oliver Wyman. I believe you've been there for 10 years, if I'm correct.
1: That's correct. 10 years.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. I will leave the floor to you to introduce yourself and give a little bit of background to what you're doing over there, as I'm sure you'll do a far better job than I can.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jess, for having me. A little bit about myself. I've had an interesting path. I've had a very unconventional path to get into where I am today. I'll just preface it by saying no engineer ever says I want to be a partner at a management consulting firm. So having navigated my career in a very much go-by-my-gut kind of a feel has led me to where I am today. And, and, and I feel like it's worked out quite well. I started off my career as an engineer working uh, for FedEx fresh out of school and just kind of navigated my way around different companies dabbling in more engineering of different languages and technologies, trying uh, my hand also at doing management and and leadership. And then just getting back into the, the doing was important to me at some point in my career. I just missed it. So I ended up embarking really on my freelance career, which was a lot of fun. And it was doing quite well, actually. And interestingly enough, that's how the Oliver Wyman opportunity came into play. I started off doing a three-month contract at Oliver Wyman, thinking it'd be three months, and then moving <laughs> to freelance engagement, because at the time, my my freelance options, they, they were coming in. I wasn't having to look for work. My network was strong enough that work was coming to me, so I didn't think I'd be anywhere for a long time. That was the whole point of going freelance, right? So you could have control over what you worked on, how long you worked on it for, the diversity of work. So I just really found that I really enjoyed working at Oliver Wyman and really liked the people and got to stay close to the tech. Started off just contract work doing software engineering, being hands-on keyboard, then eventually converted to a full-time role where I felt like I could have a lot more impact around everything, strategy, growth, planning, et cetera. Today, what I do, I do several things in my role today. I would say uh, it's a combination of providing tech advisory to uh, to companies, as well as identifying and planning and designing and formulating solutions for some of our clients' hairiest problems and then leading that to, to delivery, successful delivery. So I'm not as hands on keyboard as I used to be, but that's okay. I've got a, lot, I've got a great team of people who are a lot smarter than I am. So <laughs> I'll, I'll trust them to do that for me. But yeah, I'm getting a lot more involved in the larger holistic picture kind of things.
0: How many people are you managing at the moment? Have you got? I imagine you've probably got quite a big team over there.
1: Not huge yet. It's about 25 people who are continuing to grow. As you can imagine, it's really hard to grow anywhere in anything involving tech and and digital delivery these days where you're looking for engineers of any kind or designers or or agile leads etc right it's just really a competitive market so we're not growing at the pace I'd like us to be but we're working on it but yeah the goal is to be a lot larger in the next several years
0: yeah perfect well uh, I mean it's interesting that you're journey into Oliver Wyman started as a three-month contract and it's ended up 10 years that says enough about Oliver Wyman I imagine it is a good place to work and a really nice environment to work in and the people he said were lovely to work with as well obviously this podcast is around diversity and inclusion and I know we've had a lot of conversations about this previously and the importance around diversity and inclusion in the workplace how have you Being able to incorporate diversity and inclusion into the company or even just previous work that you've done?
1: Yeah, so I feel like it's been effective to approach it from different engagement dimensions. There's the growth consideration, right? So you can bring in diversity and inclusion as you hire. You look to channels where you can get diverse candidates coming in because I feel like if you only put all your eggs in one basket, you're only going to get one profile of candidate, right? So Having multiple channels and, channels and outlets to find diverse candidates is important. Trying to reach out to the communities where you can see a lot of activity and engagement with diverse uh, candidates. For example, women who code, right? Looking for women engineers from that group in that pool. So from the growth perspective, that's how I'm approaching it. From the, I think, retention perspective, it's a little more interesting. It, it requires a very proactive stance to ensure that you know, I, I can hire 500 women tomorrow, but if I don't do a good job of retaining them, it's all moot. So I think retention is a key part of ensuring that you've got really incorporated diversity and inclusion in your organization. So being mindful of the diverse colleagues that you have, making sure that they feel at home, making sure that they feel like they belong. It is a proactive conscious act you have to do. You can't be passive about it. You can't be like, hey, they'll figure out their way once they get here. You gotta make sure that they have the right support groups, you want to make sure that they have the right activities that can make them feel like this is a place where they feel that they want to stick around for a while. Beyond just growth and retention, I feel like there's also just the mindset of of making sure that you speak about IND, not in a way that's shutting it down your throat, right, because that doesn't ever work, but I think just speaking with data has been really effective. Nothing's more powerful than saying, wow, we've got one Black engineer or we've got one female engineer, or we've got one LGBTQ engineer, right? It's just, it's so effective versus just going on a soapbox and saying, we need to have more IND and you beat that home. It's more effective to say diversity is powerful, right? Because it brings in diversity of thought into your organization. Homogeny is, is not great. It's boring as well. But when you show data in front of people, is when I think is most effective. So just having those in conversations and tracking those numbers and metrics, I think is important to bring ID to the company.
0: Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I think just touching on what you said there about it not being rammed down people's throats and you know in people's face all the time. Obviously, it's a really important subject. But again, in some companies and in some organizations and some people, to be honest, it's not necessarily some can be seen as a taboo subject where people don't really want to speak about it or it makes them feel uncomfortable again that's one of the reasons that i wanted to start this podcast it shouldn't be an uncomfortable discussion everyone should feel like they belong in an environment and feel comfortable to be able to thrive in what they're good at without any or you know where can I go or is there anybody that looks like me in that environment or and I think like you said in terms of the statistics that you know you can put forward even if that's including diverse people on panels when you're interviewing them so they can see themselves represented within the company and hear from somebody who is like them to what it's for what it's like working at Oliver Wyman or you know, rocks or wherever that people work. I mean, I guess we've touched on it a little bit there, but why to you is it important to build diverse workforces? I've just seen it be a much more
1: interesting culture and place to work when you have diverse colleagues. I've definitely worked at companies where a lot of my colleagues were Caucasian males, and that in itself is not a bad thing, right? If you look at purely from the perspective of they're just engineers, okay, sure, but it's just it's not very exciting. It's really not in terms of the feeling like you don't you're just that one token woman or you just feel like conversations around maybe some of the same topics like golf or baseball, <laughs> making it up, you know, like it it doesn't make you feel like it's a place where you feel you can really thrive and shine and feel like you're included. Um, so having different perspectives, having different backgrounds and experiences, having different stories, having different socioeconomic Uh, narratives I just feel like it just makes for a much more interesting place to work additionally I think it's fascinating how cultural diversity for example gender diversity any kind of diversity can impact what you do for for an engagement for building something so for example I remember I was working on a project one time for a client and we were working with the UX and UI designers and they brought into like like Carol, we shouldn't maybe use this icon because this might be offensive to our Muslim consumers, right? For example, and it's just something like that, little nuances, right? So just having diversity in your organization can help you make a more effective end game and, 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 and solution in general because the considerations you don't think about when you're not from a certain background impacts what your output can be. Same thing with accessibility, right? If you're not, it helps to have, I think, the additional expertise and experience, I think those personal stories can help to really influence what happens when you have to build something for an accessible needs uh, audience, for example. I just think it's just interesting because it it bleeds its way into problem solving because it's those additional perspectives that can make you think of things you just didn't before and you might have overlooked things. So there's a bunch of different reasons why I think it's so important, but just from the high-level interesting perspective, I just love having diverse colleagues, you know, personality diversity, racial diversity, gender diversity, LGBTQ diversity, it's just it makes for a much more fun uh, dynamic.
0: Absolutely. And I think in terms of, you know, people giving their ideas or giving input in terms of like you were giving the example about why it might be offensive to Muslims or the Islamic culture, I think at the end of the day, if you're joining a business and you've invested into that business, everybody's got the same goal for that business to be successful or whatever you're releasing, the rollouts, whatever's going on in the company, everybody's got the same end goal to be able to make it successful. So to be able to get everybody's ideas together and being able to cover every single different aspect of people's areas where it might you want to appeal to everybody at the end of the day, regardless of your market. So to be able to be able to do that with a diverse workforce is going to be the easiest option for you at the end of the day, to put it frankly. So I imagine, you know, you've probably done your fair share of hiring over the years. What difficulties or growing pains have you faced when trying to build diverse workforces? Because, I mean, by all means, I don't want to this these podcasts come across as if like it's the easiest thing to do in the world because it's not like you said if I scroll down on LinkedIn even when I'm searching for candidates I could get to page two or three before I find a, a woman or a person of color or for example communities like who are maybe disabled or LGBTQ these are things that you can just see from a picture or you know pronouns yeah. or whatever the case is so it's, it's not always the easiest to find so what difficulties and growing pains have you Found when you're sort of doing the recruitment process
1: exactly what you said how do you increase and cast a wider net right and, and making it an effective use of your time versus it just being scrolling through pages and pages of something like LinkedIn it takes a lot of creativity it takes a lot of networking to understand who you can tap into what networks what groups who people know who they know right to just it's a numbers game right so making sure that you get tapped in those right networks, I think, is one of the biggest challenges. The second challenge, I would say, right now, the marketplace is so hot; it's ridiculously hot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like you're competing with tons of other companies who are vying and jockeying for similar profile of candidates, right? Strong, communicative, mature in thinking, and diverse. And so everyone is jockeying for these candidates, and so it's just insane. It's really insane. I, we're still struggling with it now, right? It's just, we're doing yeah. what we can. and I feel like the only thing I can think of is to continue to cast a wider net, which means finding additional channels, right? To, to again, try to reach out and connect with. It's beyond just being a, sending a generic email, right? You gotta make sure you connect with people. What is that first message you send out so people wanna engage with you versus a generic recruiter message? You know somebody who might know that person too. It makes it even better to, to entice them to wanna talk yeah. to you and apply, right? So your network is just as important as the channels that you choose to to use, like the platforms that you use and the services that you use.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in terms of reaching out to a wide audience, especially for people like you, you probably don't have time to do that. And yeah. you go here, there and everywhere looking for people than the sort of the usual sources, which is time consuming. There's so much to be done and so many different groups. They are there. It's just how to find them, which obviously is part of the problem but you know and even just catching them when they're younger to be able to get more people from diverse backgrounds into the tech industry whether that's through apprenticeships or internships that you can get people involved in so yeah obviously you know you've been a a manager for a while now and made partner this year
1: I made it this year yeah
0: amazing so congratulations for that how would you describe your leadership style and what advice would you give to somebody from an under uh, you're laughing I <laughs> um, am. Yeah. go on i'll let you start finish the, no, no, no. Start like, the first question first <laughs> i
1: feel like my leadership style is somewhere along the lines of i would say motivating and empowering tiger mom i love to let people shine i like to give people opportunities and stretch roles, and i also I feel like people will rise to the occasion when, when you put them in that situation, right? So I feel like there are different styles. Some people I think a little bit more will call it warm and fuzzy. I'm not saying I'm not warm and fuzzy. It's just that my thing is, I know people are very competent and all they need is a little bit nudging and coaching and mentorship and steering in my direction. I can definitely be a priest to some of my engineers, right? So, you know, sometimes you have to give them that uh, safe, safe forum to be able to talk to you about whatever's on top of mine. If it's personal, if it's work-related, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, I think most people really want enablement, empowerment, especially with engineers. I had an interesting debate recently with a friend of mine. She was She's not technical. She was saying that she thinks that engineers want power. I was like, no, engineers want empowerment, right? That's just, yeah. that's just the nature of the profile. Anyway, back to what the leadership style is, what advice I'd give. Oh, man, that's a lot, whether or not it applies to people. I don't know. But this is I feel like what could work for some people. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to be a bit of a maverick. I know it's easier said than done when you're more junior in your career, but it has to start somewhere, right? I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and have biceps the size of one Schwarzenegger's just by working out once, right? <laughs> time and practice. So yeah. I'd also people start start with something little and, and push the envelope and do something different. Be disruptive with intention and purpose. But don't feel like you always have to follow the rules. I, I actually say, I recommend to people, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. So get in that mindset. Of just do something for the right reason. And don't feel like you have to settle for, settle for doing something that's mediocre, right? But on the other hand, I also give advice of pick and choose your battles. Because you can't fight every single thing. You just, it's yeah. just you'd be exhausted, right? So pick and choose the hill you die on. That's, what, that's another piece of advice I give to people. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I know it sounds really cliche, but getting people to step out of their comfort zones is sometimes a really big challenge. It's conflict, right? Confronting someone is hard. Yeah, Getting someone to start that, it's important. Just, again, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Giving a speech in front of a big group of people, especially senior stakeholders, right? That's uncomfortable. But get comfortable being comfortable with that. It kind of falls in line with stretch rules but it helps you grow and develop as a person right not even necessarily related to only work it also can benefit your personal life because if you can start to deal with confrontations at work in a constructive way you can also probably do the same in your personal life right so that's pretty much uh, the four i would say those are four pieces of advice i give
0: I think as well, being uncomfortable is so important for growth. Remember when I first joined the staffing business, even picking up the phone, I was so nervous to make space calls, especially to people like you, who, you know, you've got, from the outside, you've got your life together, you're a powerful woman, you're in a place of power. It can be so intimidating, even, for example, like stakeholders you were mentioning. But at the end of the day, everybody's just people.
1: Thank Um, you. Yes, thank you for saying that, because I feel like, I, one thing I really sometimes really dislike are titles. I feel like they cause artificial yeah. distance. So when I was talking to you, I didn't see myself as I'm a partner of an engineer. I'm just like I'm just curious about what you want to talk about, right? Yeah, and help us find people. That's that really is what it boils down to, and yeah, that's why I think our rapport has worked out so well. There's no weird artificial like. <laughs> yeah, I just want help. Like. I'm just desperate to find more diverse, you know, engineers from my group
0: yeah i just want to do my job and you just want to do your job and that's uh, that's literally what people are doing so it's just getting out of that comfort zone and putting yourself in there jumping head first i remember my mum gave me an example she was working for a company and her boss would make her deliver the company files or whatever to their director because she was so scared to do it and then the minute she wasn't bothered about it she was like oh you don't need to do that anymore because she knew (laughs) that she'd done it now she wasn't bothered about it she'd reached the comfort zone and it was on to the next task so yeah I think that's super important anybody who's listening it can be scary but just do it
1: yeah practice makes perfect I'm telling you start somewhere small see the success from that see the response from that being positive right nothing horrible happened keep uh, increasing what you're you're challenge yourself with and what you're getting comfortable with right so
0: yeah exactly and failure is not always a bad thing either it's a learning curve it's you know it's never a loss it's always something that you've learned at the end of the day so I think it's just changing that mindset as well of things that are negative because it can be quite a lot of weight on your shoulders pressure to succeed and look good and whatever the case is so yeah perfect so in terms of the tech industry as a whole because even finding female CTOs or CEOs or people of color in the industry in the US has be I've, I mean I've searched for them so I've got the network there now look for me but in the tech industry what as a whole what could they do to increase and encourage more diversity and inclusion within the industry?
1: I feel like there's a plethora they could be doing. I think there's a lot of common behaviors you'll see in the tech industry because it's a predominantly male industry. And I, don't, I, don't, I think a lot of companies are not doing things maliciously and intently, but they, that feeling of inclusion I mentioned before, where if you're one of the few women working in a tech industry uh, organization, make them feel like they're included and actually include them in things right make that conscientious effort to include them in planning designing formulation strategy Be like hey you know jess we'd love to have you join right and it takes a lot of effort i think a lot of people want easy answers that's why trend diets exist but it really takes a lot of effort i think that just tech industries have to make a lot of effort and the message starts from the top the buck stops there right to say, we need to be much more inclusive. We need to make people feel like this is a place they want to stick around. You know, so don't do things like have the broad culture. Don't, don't forgive that. Don't say, well, that's a, make excuse, right? Don't excuse of, well, that's just the way it is in San Francisco or Silicon Valley or whatever. You have the, the ability to change it. So I think being mindful that you have a lot of things to change under your control. Make sure that you're, Doing things like showcasing your best and brightest diverse colleagues. When you have marketing campaigns, as you know, companies will happen. Like we have ours. Yeah. And we use social media uh, channels like we have Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook, et cetera. And we showcase some of our best and brightest people. I think we have room for improvement around who we showcase and why, right? So I think, again, being mindful and including it almost like an D first kind of mindset makes you think about how do we embed organically, D into what we're doing, right? Versus, I think, getting into the status quo of what you're used to doing. Just being able to let some of your diverse colleagues really, I think, step up and shine. Like have, like, have a fun event of, like, ask me anything. It doesn't have to be about race or gender or, you know, culture or ethnicity. It doesn't have to be heavy stuff every time. It could just be like, hey, let's talk to, you know, Susie. And she is a designer and has worked for us for five years. And let's have an ask me anything, right? Yeah. just showcase people out there and let them have their moment to shine and get them out there, feature them prominently Mm -hmm. and just let them be front and center so that people can say, oh, it's not just a bunch of bros or guys at a company, right? It's not just a bunch of males, right? It's like, again, it has to be like a very mindful, conscientious act to include them and that means showcasing them, featuring them, having them step up and emerge as subject matter experts in their area, right? But really sometimes asking. I think that pull model of comms is just as important as the push model of comms because sometimes people are shy. They need to be coaxed out of their out of their shells, right?
0: Yeah, and I think even just giving them a platform, one thing that I want to do, and I hope nobody steals my idea from saying this, <laughs> but <laughs> when we are out in Austin, I really want to do sort of like a, you know, head of engineering or CTO plus one where they can come with somebody who's, you know, made good progress in the last couple of months or last year or whatever, and they've got a platform to speak about what they're working on, their ideas, what they want to do through the future. Because at the end of the day, these are the future of the tech industry. And even just giving them that little platform of confidence to say you've done well, you know, it's it's a it's a cool idea. So I do want to do an event like that at some point in the future. So you heard it here first. nobody's (laughs) nobody's stealing <laughs> so in terms for you then what are your plans for the future what does the future look like for carolyn i would say world domination
1: and then opening up eventually some kind of a franchise like orbeez and burger king
0: sounds about right i will be the first customer <laughs> wow there you go then <laughs> it's all fun and games Exactly. Well, Carolyn, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you could leave our viewers and listeners with one last piece of advice or sentence, however you want to word it, what would that be? Be bold. Cool. Amazing. That's perfect. Yeah, I look forward to seeing well, your burger place to be opening up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep you posted. Thanks for yeah. having me, Jess. No problem. Thank you. Bye. Bye.